Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Denny, and praise team. Hey, take your Bibles, if you will, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians, hard to find the Bible about. It's almost at the end. Uh, no shame in looking in the front of your Bible to figure out what page it's on. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's in there, some short books. Philippians 3. I want to preach on this subject today, my number one goal for 2021. My number one goal for 2021. Hey, can we take a moment and just... Wave goodbye to 2020 like Richard did a minute ago. Anybody just say, bye, 2020, it's, you know, it, you know, it wasn't all bad, right? Like, it wasn't all bad. Some really good time, things happened. I, I mean, some of us got a little more time at home when, you, you know, had to quarantine. And, hey, for, our church grew tremendously. I had a new grandson born in 2020 and found out that I'll have a third one in 2021. So, 2020 had some ups and had some downs that come with a normal year, but it was a little, it was a little different, 2020 was, that was for sure. As a matter of fact, let's recap 2020, and I'm going to let Twitter help us do it, because Twitter releases its, its most tweeted emojis worldwide uh, every year, and lets us know what, what, what emoji that did you use the most. And so we find out it's kind of, it represented 2020, like number one is the hilarious emoji, and number two is the crying emoji. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Like one and two, I don't know whether to laugh, I don't know whether to cry. I think I'll do both. That was 2020. Uh, number three was the, the pleading face, the begging face. Number four was rolling on the floor laughing. Number five is I'm in love. Number six is pensive, sad, kind of disappointed, hurt, lonely, uh, described a lot of people. Number seven was warm and fuzzy in love. Number eight was thinking Sometimes passive-aggressive doubt, like I don't really believe what you just said. Number nine is um, rolling your eyes, or as we like to call it, you know, sarcasm, disbelief, annoyance. And number 10 was smiling face, smiling eyes, really uh, happiness and more. I mean, that's a pretty good description, right? By my count, those are at least five are positive, three are negative, and two are contemplative, right? Like ups, downs, and then I don't know what's going on. That kind of describes 2020. Well, we'll get some other people to help us uh, describe 2020 because Merriam-Webster and Dictionary.com every year release their word of the year. And they never agree on the word of the year. But this year, Merriam-Webster and Dictionary.com agreed on their word of the year. It's the word that most dominated the year. Does anybody have any idea what this year's might have been? You're, you're on the right track. It was pandemic was the word of the year. Thank you, 2020. All right, but even beyond that, let's, let's move to Christian circles, right? Bible Gateway is the most visited Christian website in the world. And Bible Gateway releases every year their most searched term. Well, this year they had four, first time ever, four tied for first place, which are exactly descriptive of 2020. Here we go. Bible Gateway. Number one was social, as in social unrest, social justice, all that. That fit 2020. Then there was pandemic uh, search on Bible Gateway. And finally, number three, there was political. I mean, that's, that's all of 2020. Can I get an amen right there? Social unrest, pandemic, and political. It's absolutely all I remember. But there was a fourth one. 
And the fourth one to me wraps it all up beautifully and puts a bow on it, and that was end times. Like if the world was ever going to end, it's got to be 2020, right? Let me just Google that for a second and see. That was our 2020, social, pandemic, political, and end times. A lot of things had us worried, have us worried. It was a wild and crazy year that, that created a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety. A lot of fear in our lives. You think with all of that tension, with all of that fear, with all of that anxiety, that somewhere in all of that searching and emoji and all that happened, we might have seen something about our relationship with God. I mean, maybe could we have worked in a praying hands in the emojis? Maybe on Bible Gateway, could someone have searched relationship with God? You think with all of our fear, all of our anxiety, that God would be trending but he doesn't even make the list. If 2020 doesn't get God on the list, tell me what's going to get God on the list. And I want to submit to you today that if, if God is going to make our list, then we're going to have to put him there on purpose. That if 2020 didn't drive us to go forward in our relationship with God. If 2020 didn't drive us uh, uh, to want to draw closer to God, to want to know him more, then I'm just going to tell you, nothing is going to do it. We're going to have to put him on the list ourselves. Like 2021, we're going to have to make it a priority to draw closer to God. We're going to make it a priority to improve our Christian life. We're going to have to make it a priority to know more about him. And to be honest, it ought to be our pursuit every year. Just like it was the continual pursuit of Paul's life. I want us to look and see what Paul said about it because Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 3. If you're in a room, would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? Philippians chapter 3, look, look at verse number 7. It's on, the, it's on my screen if, if you don't have your Bibles today. Verse 7, but everything was a gain to me, but everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, I love the CSB version, my goal is to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the book of the Philippians, the book of Philippians is one of the few books in the Bible where Paul wrote, and Paul wrote, you know, a dozen books or so in your New Testament. It's one of the books where Paul is not having to address a crisis of faith or a crisis of morality or a, a, a theological problem in Christianity. Like, if you look at Paul's first book in our Bible, 1 Corinthians, like, there's major moral problems, major theological problems. You go to the book of Galatians, there's a major theological problem. And you get to Philippians, and it's not a major problem. Paul is writing to the Philippian church to express his appreciation for their support of his ministry. And here's what Paul is saying to the Philippian church, that the Philippian church, they were good Christians, like the Philippian church, they were Christians who, who, 
who gave. He talks about that. They were Christians who had faith. They were Christians who walked with God. They were Christians who came to church every single week. And in this passage, Paul is trying to tell them, like, you're a good Christian, but there's still something you're lacking. And Paul is trying to use his own spiritual life to spur them on to know God more, to spur them on to continual growth in their lives. And, and listen, what Paul is saying to them is a good word for all of us today. Listen, this room, Russell, online. If you're attending church on the last Sunday of the year, two days after Christmas, um, you're, you're, you're probably a good Christian. Like you probably kind of have your Christian ducks in a row. Like if you're here today, you probably are here most of the time. You probably gave during the offering or online. You, you probably know where your Bible is, you know, before Sunday morning. Like you're, you're, you're probably one of the good Christians. But good Christians can still be lacking something. Uh, you read in the book of the Revelation, and John told us that in that last church, that, that there's going to come a church time where there will be a church that has all their ducks in a row. But, but John said, Jesus said, you're missing one thing, and the thing you're missing is you kind of have a lukewarm walk with God. Like you, you have everything, but not really. And Paul's trying to tell the church at Philippi, like, you, you, you're good. You're in church, but you're kind of missing something. And what we're missing is a passionate pursuit of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what I want to do today is encourage us to make that our number one goal for 2021. I'm not preaching to wicked sinners today in all probability. Now, I'm preaching to good Christians who've kind of learned to check the Christian stuff off the list, but aren't really pursuing knowing Christ. So how can we make that our goal of 2021? I'll tell you four things Paul told us. Number one is this. You may be using the wrong scorecard. Paul said this in verse number seven, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. Now, when Paul starts describing his relationship with Christ, he's actually using, in verse number seven, business terminology. Literally, this is the terminology in the Greek of a profit and loss statement, a P&L statement at work. Paul has figured up his balance sheet for kingdom and for life, and because of all that, Christ has become to Paul. He was willing to collect all of his former privileges and awards and to put them in a box as it were and to write them off as a loss for Christ now you you might be saying well what did Paul have to write off Paul had it all it was I may go in the rapping business Paul had it all that, that was awesome wasn't it Paul had it all his resume tells us that he was a Jew of the Jews he was an and by the way he says all this before verse 7 that he was in high regard and ranking that he was more devout religiously than anyone. He was a Pharisee. And if you know anything about your Bible, the Pharisees were the most religious. I'm not talking about Christian, religious people on the planet. And Paul says he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, meaning he was more religious than the most religious were. He was rising up the ranks and respect in life. He was zealous and passionate in his career. In his morality, he was untouchable and blameless. 
It was a resume of resumes. As a matter of fact, any job that Paul wanted in Jewish life, he got it if he wanted it. Your resume would not stack up against his. No one else's resume would stack up against Paul's. He had the best education, the best training, the best contacts. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. But the problem with his resume was it was all focused on this life. The problem was it was all focused on Paul. The problem was none of it was going to count for salvation and eternity. And Paul had been running up the score, but he was using the wrong scorecard. I'm afraid there are a lot of Christians in church today who are watching me online that we have the tendency to do same, the same thing. We're, we're adding up our PL statement in life. We're stacking so much on the positive side. You know, a nice home, a nice car, education, a good job, money in the bank, you name it, go down the list. But nothing wrong with any of those things. I'm I'm for all of those things. Except the truth is they won't matter in eternity. And if we're not careful, we'll spend our lives winning only to get to the finish line and realize that the scorecard was wrong all along because... It's not our scorecard that matters, it's his. If you don't know me, I've got two girls. They're grown now. I I got grandkids, but I got two girls. And and I got to coach them in basketball for about, I think it's about 13 years. They're about five years apart. So I started when Savannah was about six and coached her through middle school and then started with Michaela when she was about six and coached her up to middle school. And so about 13 years, it was so much fun. We've We've done, you know, high school, we've done, uh, rec and high school and even a little bit of college basketball but but the funnest time was rec department basketball man just crazy mamas all that it's so fun at rec department basketball and there was one year savannah my oldest daughter she was 10 we were in the uh, i think it was nine and ten year old league and we had we had won our our rec department tournament and then we won our region tournament and then we got to go to the all-stars down in perry georgia for the state tournament and man we were pumped we had a really good basketball team and i was the coach and they had a really good coach on the team too like he was the best ever and, uh, and me and john calipari you know like this and so anyway we're really good and, and like we're going down to state and i just know we got this and and we go down to state and we're we're, we're, we're there and, and staying in a nasty hotel, but nobody cares. They signed it to us, but just rough place, but we're, we're going to win state. We got it in our minds we're going to win state. And we walk out there on the first day on this basketball court, and we look at the team we're about to play. And honest to goodness, you're supposed to be 9 and 10 years old, but there's a girl on the other team. She, I'm not kidding. She was 5'9", five, 5'10", five, height-wise. She could dunk the basketball. Like, literally, she was like, she was like, Michael Jordan ain't got nothing on me. And like, I'm like, that, she is, that girl is not 10 years old. So I went up to the ref, and I'm like, hey, I want to see your birth certificate. Literally, I said, I want to see your birth certificate. He's like, nope, we, she's 10. I checked it. And I'm eh, I'm not believing that. I want to see her birth certificate. She can dunk, man. I want to see the birth certificate. He's like, no, no, no. Uh, you know, she's 10. And so we, we got our team together, and we're like, um, uh, so here's what we're going to do. We don't really have much of a chance. We're going to admit that. No pep talk for me. She's big. And so uh, all y'all are like 4'2". This is not helping us at all. And so I said, um, uh, we're going to try to uh, – here's what we're going to do. I want you – whenever you get the basketball, I just want you to run right at her. And I want you to just shoot it when you get close to her. And I just hope she fouls you and we'll foul her out of the game. It was actually a pretty good game plan, you know, from the coach, at, you know, who was real smart. And so it was – so it worked. It worked. Like – 
at halftime, she had four fouls on her. We were only behind by like 10. And that's very, we'd come back from a lot more than that to win the region. And so we were really pumped. And so we talked about it at halftime. Hey, do it again. And my daughter, Savannah, got the basketball. We're about 30 seconds into the second half. And she, she drove the lane, went right at that girl and shot. And then that girl, I mean, that girl just nearly Cold, I mean, knocked her. She had, she was bleeding after the foul, literally bleeding after the foul. And our team's jumping up and down because we're, we got a scorecard over here and we know that's her fifth foul. We've been talking about it the whole game. This is our game plan. We're jumping up and down and Savannah goes shoot free throws and she hits the first one. And then between the first one and the second one, you got to take the girl out of the game and they didn't take her out of the game. And so I called timeout. I said, ref, come here. And I said, that girl's got five fouls on her. We, we're keeping, we got a scorecard. We keep five fouls. And he said, well, I don't know. He said, let's go ask the, scorer's table and I not it's my fault I had not looked at the scorer's table the whole time I'd been there but when I tried to look at the scorer's table I figured out the scorekeeper the official scorekeeper of the game was a young teenage high school girl and when I looked at her she kind of had her chin propped up on her elbows like this and right here was a young teenage high school boy who had no business being anywhere near the scorer's table he wasn't doing anything other than a little fluttery-eyed girl was fluttering her eyes at him like this. We walked over the table and I said, uh, hey, uh, tall girl's got five fouls on her. And she's fouled out. And, 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 and she said, what's a foul? No, she didn't say that, but it's close. It's close. It's close. And she was irritated that I had interrupted her love life. That old game thing going on out there. And I, I said, uh, she's got five fouls on her. You know, but, and, and ref said, well, how many fouls do you have? And she said, uh, one. And I said, I said to the ref, I said, she has, you know, you know, you know she has five. He's like, I have to go with the official score. I'm like, the official scores tapers and an in love 14-year-old girl. That doesn't count. I have to go with her. I, I, I looked at my assistant coach. I said, hey, I'm the pastor of the church. I can't get thrown out, but you have at it. And he got thrown out of the game, man. He, got, he literally got thrown out of the game. He got thrown out of the game. We lost. And, and by record, she had 36 fouls by the time the game was over. But the, the problem was, the her scorecard and my scorecard, we were on two different pages. The difference between that and heaven is that the judge's table will be the right scorecard. And I, I may have a scorecard, but I, my scorecard sometimes gets a little sideways. My scorecard gets a little wonky, and I wind up doing what Paul did and keeping score for things that do not matter. And what we have to remind ourselves is that in this life, sometimes we get the wrong scorecard, and we need to be reminded by Paul that I need to lay up treasures in heaven, that I need to be living for eternity. And listen, Christian, don't go through life using the wrong scorecard. Don't live day by day. By day and not realize that it's not this life that ultimately matters it's the next life and that mindset needs to reflect in your living day to day that mindset needs to reflect in your giving in your talking in your walking in your witnessing if you want your goal to be what Paul's was to know Christ better the scorecard's got to be right because we start counting things that he doesn't 
You want to know him better in 2021. Number two, you have to give up garbage to gain gold. Here's what he said in verse eight. No, he said, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so I may gain Christ. Now, here's the thing. Paul is still speaking to good Christians because in this verse, Paul is not talking about wicked sin versus not sin. Like This is not people doing really morally wrong and people not doing morally wrong. Paul's way beyond that because he knows he's talking to you, right? He's, talk, he's talking to us. These are not people who are in some kind of gross immorality who are in church on December 27, 2020. These are the good people and it's not wicked sin versus not wicked sin. He's talking about earthly importance versus heavenly importance now in verse number seven he was talking about the past but in verse number eight he's now talking about the presence and here's what the greek language tells us that he is telling us that this is an ever-present choice against a recurring temptation the the tense in the greek means it's a recurring temptation that what is the temptation to rely on or to value anything more than christ the, the problem is with us is that good Christians can fall into the trap of valuing other things more than our walk with God. And Paul said it was garbage, dung. Northwest Georgia, I do not have to describe what dung is, right? Like you have it, you know what it is? Enough said. And Paul said Jesus is sweeter and Jesus is better and Jesus is more exciting, and Jesus is more fulfilling, and Jesus is more satisfying than all the world has to offer. And can I tell you the one reason that we do not know Christ the way we should is that we fill up on the garbage of the world. And we don't have a hunger for Jesus. If you hear anything I say today, hear this, that the garbage of the world doesn't satisfy, but it will ruin your appetite. The junk of the world doesn't satisfy, but it does cause you not to want more of Christ. You, you've had this happen before, right? right. Your mom, your, 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 your wife, she's cooking dinner and and, and you, you just got a little bit of hunger pain. It's a few minutes away from dinner. And so you, you go into the pantry and, you know, they catch you. They always catch you because they're in the kitchen. And they're always like, hey, don't eat anything. Dinner's in 10 minutes. And you, you say, it's happening to me, it's happening to you. Oh, we all say the same thing. I'm just going to eat a little bit, right? And so you look in there and you see your family-sized bag of Doritos, which is the only way they should be sold in family-sized bags. And you say, well, I'm going to get three or four Doritos uh, before dinner. And then I'll eat three or four Doritos. I'll be fine. We'll, we're eating in 10 minutes. And you reach inside the family-sized bag of Doritos and you pull out what I, you know, kind of that nucleus, that, that set perfect storm of Doritos where there's like six or seven Doritos wedged together around a ball of that magic Dorito dust. You ever had that happen? Like there's like somehow it snuck through the factory. It shouldn't have got uh, you know, gotten through, but it's like a ball of Dorito dust, which I'm convinced in the book of Exodus, Dorito dust was what was drizzled on the manna that fell. And, you know, like that, that's what it was, the Dorito dust. And, and you pull it out and, and you, it's just, it's like magic. Like, it's like, it's like, it's like a, 
you know, it's like Lord of the Rings kind of stuff. You know, it's like this is the thing here, and, and it's what Indiana Jones was looking for. You know, it's this kind of holy grail, and so I got it, and you eat it because the rule is it's a federal law. Once you touch it, you're required to eat it, and so you eat it, and um, it's so good. And then like, like turn a rabid wolf loose in a chicken coop, right? Like you just start into that bag. And before you know it, an entire bag of family-sized Doritos is gone. And you do the only logical thing you can do. You chase it with a sleeve of Oreos that you happen to see in the pantry while you're there. You walk out of the pantry and you've got Dorito dust on your clothes and on your fingers and run down your mouth and your teeth are black because you're still chewing Oreos. And then your mom or your wife or whoever it may be looks at you and says, dinner's ready. And here's a problem. You ain't hungry, right? But you're not satisfied either. You're not hungry, but you're not satisfied. Because that, that Dorito dust, it'll go away in about a couple hours and it wears off. And, and the sugar out of Oreos, that burns off in a couple hours. And, and you're going to be hungry and want more. But you're not hungry, but you're not satisfied. That's what happens to us in life when we, when we fill up on everything the world has to offer. We, we trade our gold for garbage and we, we give it up. And, and what happens is we, we fill up on things of the world and all of a sudden we're not hungry for the things of God. But the world never satisfies us. And Jesus said that. He, he told us it would happen in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled. We only get satisfied when our pursuit is Jesus. You only get satiated when our pursuit is Jesus. You only get filled when our pursuit is Jesus. And some of you are here today, right, and you made the right trade at salvation. Like you understand this principle because when you were saved, you traded heaven for hell. Like you were going to hell and you got saved, now you're going to heaven. So you traded hell so you could get heaven. Can I get amen? Best decision you ever made, right? Can I get amen right there? Can I tell you this? That, that's not rocket surgery to do that, right? You're not the sharpest pencil in the box to say yes to that, right? That's why 10-year-olds can get saved. The Bible says, come as a little child. You know what? A child gets a 10-year-old gets under conviction, and you say to a 10-year-old, here's the gospel. You can either die in your sin and go to hell and burn forever, or you can get saved and live with God. Don't have to have a high IQ to figure that one out, do you? I mean, like all of us can get that. But... We get saved and forget it. The harder decision comes every day. Are we going to give up the garbage? We did it at salvation, but then it becomes the Christian life and it gets harder to do. Are you going to, will you get to know Jesus or are you just going to play around? Are you going to get to know Jesus or are you going to waste time? Are you going to get to know Jesus or are you going to flip open social media and learn a whole lot about people you don't know or don't care about? Don't trade your gold for garbage. Get to know him. 
leads me to third thing. I'm just going to hit this and move on because I want to get to point four is that Paul told us righteousness comes from relationship. And Paul is stating the obvious that, but that people who know Christ, like if you're a Christian, you know this, that I don't want to be found in my own righteousness. I need to be found in his right. I can't work my way to heaven, earn my way to heaven, be good enough to go to heaven. I had to get his righteousness. And then get, we get it. We understand it. By faith, we get saved. And then we forget it. And Paul's reminding us that if you want to know God, if you want to learn him, if you want to go deeper in your walk with him, it all begins and ends with a relationship. It's a relationship at salvation, not by works, but a relationship. I have to know him, but then it's a relationship every day. And righteousness, what do you mean by righteous, preacher? Here's what I mean. Being the right person comes from relationship with him see we get saved and we think well here's here's what it is i'm going to get saved and then there's a whole bunch of rules in the bible i follow any the rules in the bible. You, bible the word says that the law is written on your heart uh, this is the bare minimum standard all i mean i shouldn't actually need this the spirit of god is in my heart telling me right from wrong this is backs up what the spirit of god says in my heart they both will agree together by the way one doesn't disagree with the other one that righteousness, right, being the right person, comes from my relationship with God. So some of you here today, and you're like, well, I, I'd like to be a better person, get to know Christ. Well, I'd like to be a better husband or a better wife, get to know Christ. Or I'd like to be a better parent, get to know Christ. I'd like to be a better teenager, get to know Christ. Work on your relationship. Righteousness comes from relationship with him. Number, number four, I've got to hurry. Number four. Paul said this, the goal is to know. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Now, the word know here is, is a great word. It doesn't mean to know like pass a test, knowledge, book knowledge kind of know. Like that, that's know about, right? Like you can pass a math test, but it doesn't mean you really know the math. Or you wouldn't know how to use it in real life. You just knew how, about it. And, and we're, we're like that way with the Bible. Like we, you've been in church, right? Remember, I'm preaching to good Christians, right? Preaching to good Christians. You, you, you can pass a Bible knowledge test. You know, Genesis comes before Matthew. Like, you can pass the Bible knowledge test. You can probably pass a test about the life of Jesus. All that means is you know about him. It doesn't mean to know him. Because the word there, know, is the Greek word mean, that doesn't mean uh, just to know about. It means uh, um, acquired knowledge. It means experienced knowledge. Not what I've been told, but what I have experienced personally. And Paul said this, the goal of my life was to know Jesus, to know him, not to know about him. And Paul said, there's two different aspects I want to know. He said, I want to know, number one, the power of his resurrection. That is, Paul said, I want to know him with passion and with power. Paul did not want a mediocre, lifeless Christian life. He wanted to know Christ with passion. He wanted to know Christ with power, with zeal, and with authority. And by the way, so should we. We ought to be sick and tired of a lifeless Christianity that dominates our heart and life. Paul said, I want to know Christ in such a way that his power and his passion are evident in my own life. And then Paul said, I want to know him without constraint. He just didn't want to know the good. Man, can I be, can I, can I give you, pre, I'm, I'm, we're, we're the same. I just happen to have this, you know, this title of pastor that God gave to me. I, I don't love everything in the Bible and the fellowship of his sufferings. Come on, Paul, you could have kept it positive. Why do you have to keep it negative? Because here's what Paul knew that you often find out more about people in the bad times than you do in the good. And Paul said, if I want to know him so much that if it, that if I have to suffer to know him better, I'm willing to suffer to know him better. 
Paul said, I'm not trying to pass a test about Jesus or church or the Bible. I want to know him. That Paul's consuming passion of his life was to know, know, know him. What if we made that our goal for 2021? What, what if it was your number one goal? Now hear me, I'm not talking about writing it on a sheet of paper with a list of other things. I'm talking about it's at the top, maybe the only thing on the sheet of paper, and you're going to focus on it. You're going to resource it. You're going to calendar it. You're going to spend money on it. You're going to sacrifice. When was the last time you sacrificed for your walk with God? 2021 could change your life if you do that. It's going to require you to do two things, two things only. Here they are. Pursue him being Jesus, and pursue people who pursue him. You say, wait, wait, what now? That's right. You need to spend time with Jesus and spend time with people who spend time with Jesus. There is no other way. Spend time with Jesus and spend time with people who spend time with Jesus. You say, well, preacher, I got the spend time with Jesus part. Other stuff, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with people who spend time with Jesus. Close your Bibles and, and I'll explain it to you. I'm finished. The first major study on social influence came out recently. It was conducted by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. And they looked at something called the Framingham Heart Study. And the Framingham Heart Study is the largest study of its kind in health. Where it's a, it's a large, ongoing, massive study about heart and health. And when these two researchers looked at the data, they realized that these participants were being asked a lot more than just about their heart health. And so they were able to dive into the data that they were looking at. And they discovered a lot about social influence hang with me so they started analyzing the data and they looked at it in several different areas the most easy place for low-hanging fruit we call it for them to look was in the area of obesity and they wanted to study how much your friends influenced obesity in your life and so here's what they found out that if you have a friend who becomes obese that you are 45% more likely to gain weight in the next two to four years above random. Like you may randomly gain weight. This is 45% above random. So if you have a friend who's gained a lot of weight, you need to tell them, hey, slow down, fella. I don't know that I want to do that or not. Or I, I got I to gotta do something or find a new friend or something like I'm, I'm, I'm. You start putting it on, I'm like, but listen to this. That's, that's your friend. What if a friend of a friend became obese? You were 20% more likely to gain weight. Wait, wait. What if a friend of a friend of a friend gained weight? You were still 10% more likely to gain weight. You didn't even know them. Literally didn't know them. And so they started saying, well, wait a minute. How can that be? And here's what they discovered. That when the people in your circle change their norms, your perception of what is norm changed yourself so when you when you when all your friends and their friends and their friends start putting on weight you said well i must need to gain some weight normal your friends and their friends and their friends influence you well he said this can't hold true 
for everything. And so they looked at it in another easy area to study, and that was smoking. And here's what they found out about smoking, that if your friend smoked, you were 61% more likely to smoke. Now, that's, that makes sense, right? Like, hang out together. But then they found out if a friend of a friend smoked, you're 29% more likely to smoke. And if a friend of a friend of a friend smoked who you don't even know, you were 11% more likely to be a smoker. So I said, one more area, let's study happiness. The Framingham study had studied happiness. Here, and I won't get into all of it. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll end it with this. But they discovered that if you have a friend who is happy and they live within, I think it was two miles of you, that you are 45% more likely to be happy. That was with geography and their happiness combined. And so they, they broke it all the way down. And get this, if a friend of a friend of a friend was happy, somebody you don't even know, never spent time with, you were still 6% more likely to be happy from somebody you didn't even know. And here's what they discovered, that you're not the average of the five people you surround yourself with. You've heard that a lot. We tell our teenagers, the five people you hang out with, it's more than that. It's who they hang out with and who they hang out with and who they hang out with. So here's where I'm going with all this. In 2021, you want to know him? Surround yourself with Jesus, man. Get into his word. Buy some books about Jesus. Uh, buy some books on prayer. Pray. You, you dive into your Christian life. You, you dive into Jesus. You surround yourself with Jesus. But that doesn't, it doesn't stop and start. It doesn't end there either. That's not it. Because if you're diving into Jesus and everybody around you is diving into the world, you'll regress. That's why some of you can't claw your way forward in the Christian life. So you, die, you surround yourself with Jesus, but here's, here's so, so awesome. Surround yourself with people who surround themselves with Jesus. And when you surround yourself with Jesus and you surround yourself with people who surround themselves with Jesus and they surround themselves with, you know what? You'll end 2021, and here's what you'll say at the end of 2021. I know him more today than I ever have before in my life. Do you want that to be your goal? Hey, if you're in the room, stand with me. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're watching online, don't go anywhere. Heads bowed, eyes closed online. Just hang, hang with me. Here's what I want you to do. If you're, if you're a Christian today, if you're already a believer, I want you to take a minute and I want you to take about two, three minutes and I want you, want you to right now examine your closeness to Jesus. How much do you know him? I don't care how much you know about him. You learned that in Sunday school. Doesn't mean you know him. How much do you know about him? About, I don't care how much you know about him. I care how much you know him. I want you to examine your life right now. How much do you know about him and how much do you know him? Two, two totally different things. I don't want to just know about my wife. I want to know my wife. I just want to know about Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Christians, you do that. Listen, if you're watching online, you're at Rossville, you're here in this room. And you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. You and you only. I want you to look here. Christians, head bowed, eyes closed. Everybody else, look here. It is relationship that you start knowing him. And you can't earn your way to heaven and work your way to heaven. God, God will not accept your works for his relationship. It only comes to he's paid the price already. God's brought you to this moment. He's brought you here just for this time. Your heart's been bothering you. You walked in the room anxious about eternity. That's called conviction. That's what we call that in the Christian life. And all that anxiety is given to you by God and the Holy Spirit to bring you to this moment of decision right now. And that is, will you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? That's the only way to go to heaven. 
And it's as simple as ABC. You see it on the screen behind me. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself, work your way to heaven. I can't, you can't, nobody ever has. B, you've got to believe that Jesus paid the price and he died on the cross so you could be saved and rose again so you could live the Christian life. But you're not finished there. The difference between B and C is the difference between heaven and hell. B is what you know about him. C is knowing him. And C is you have to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. You've got to know him. So if you'd like to do that today, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. You can do that sure enough right now and know that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. You can pray a prayer something like this. I'm going to help you pray. If you know how to pray, you do it. But I know people need help a lot of times. A prayer something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I cannot save myself or be good enough. But I know that Christ paid the price already. And I believe that he died on the cross and rose again for me. So just now I ask Christ into my heart and into my life to forgive me of my sins, to save me, to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. And hey, listen, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life or something like it, you are born again, you're a Christian. We want to send you a booklet in the mail that tells you the next steps to take or you get real confused. And here's what I want you to do. If you're in a room, if you're at Rock Springs or you're at Rossville, on your connection card, you can just check, I pray to receive Jesus. We'll just mail it in the mail to you. If you're watching online, all I need you to do is text I did to the number 97,000. I did to, if you're watching this video weeks and months from now, I did to 97,000. We'll send you that same booklet. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm, I'm finished. I wonder, Christian, would you be bold enough this morning just by lifting a hand and say, I want my main goal of 2021 to be to know him better. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and hold it up for just a second? Hold it up in a testimony. I, I want that to be my goal. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Father, that's our prayer today. Oh, so many hands all day long. Hundreds and hundreds of hands online. God, all day, all day. Our goal, we want to know you more. Or we don't want to learn about you. We know you. So I pray we'll surround ourselves with Jesus. Surround ourselves with people who surround themselves with Jesus and get to know you better and better. Draw us closer to you. As the old hymn says, draw me nearer. Draw me nearer in 2021. Let it all be, let it be all of our number one goal for this new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.